This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 563 with Cindy Bright. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 563. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Cindy Bright is the president of The Bright Group, a management consulting firm focusing on the ecosystems of corporate America impacting and impeding progress for brown and black people. She is the producer and host of Heartbeat Radio, focusing on the heart condition of this country impeding diversity progress. With decades of experience in corporate America as a former human resources executive in organizations, diversity, and leadership, she formerly led HR for three financial services businesses. A former candidate for public office in 2018, her platform has become a highly sought after show to air the voices of people and to influence public policy to improve the lives of black and brown folks. Cindy is a successful plaintiff in a discrimination lawsuit where she faced personal discrimination for speaking out on issues of injustice in the workplace. At the time of her jury verdict, she was the second largest plaintiff verdict in the state of Washington. I've known Cindy for years as she was a personal training client of mine some 15 years ago. I invited her on the show to talk about her new book, The Color of Courage, Crushing Racism in Corporate America. This book is a personal story of triumph in which Cindy inspires others to stand in their truths and to challenge corporate America to address the inequities at play for brown and black people. This conversation is so important. The book is so important. I want all of you to go out and get the book, of course. So listening to hear Cindy share her public firing at the hands of a white woman, how she won her court case, becoming the second largest plaintiff verdict in a discrimination case in Washington state, how she was portrayed as a black woman while on trial, how her company used her mental health and her sex life against her in court, why Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility, is dangerous to black women's prosperity, Examples of how white women center themselves, what white women can do in the workplace to center black women instead of centering themselves, how she summons the courage to play large and take up space in a world that tries to keep black women small, why nuance matters in conversations around race and how Cindy kindly helped me add some nuance to a statement I made in our conversation and why her book, The Color of Courage, Crushing Racism in Corporate America needs to be read by everyone. 
I know you are going to learn something from this conversation. You are going to learn as I'm learning in live time in this conversation. And I think you're going to walk away with some really important lessons that will help you in your workspace, in your community, in the ways that you lead, in the way that you engage in conversation, and so much more. So with all that, I'm so excited and honored to be welcoming Cindy Bright to the Shameless Mom Academy. Cindy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so, so excited to have you here today. Sarah Severland Dean, I'm excited to be here with you. Who'd have thunk after all these years that I would be on right? <laughs> I know. So I love telling everyone how I know my guests. And we have a fun story because we've actually are we first crossed paths years and years ago when I was working at a gym in Fremont. So Seattle people would know. I'm pretty sure that's where we started, right? Was that at Sound Mind and Body? Yes, it was first met me on body. That's exactly right. And then you followed me when I left there, you followed me to the next location where I was training. So you were a personal training client. And I have to tell people, I didn't have a lot of clients who were endurance athletes, but those were always my dream clients. And you came in and you were like running all these half marathons and like doing all sorts of cool things. So you were such a fun personal training client. And then we've both grown in a million different ways since then. Yes. I just remember your... I loved your push and your feistiness about, because it was just a class full of a bunch of women. And so, you know how you can just get a sense of this is the right kind of woman I want to be around. And that's why I followed you. And yeah, you used to help me shrink my body and I've watched you and now you're helping me enlarge our Yes. So it's awesome. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And you, so when we met, well, and this is still the case, but when we met, you were a single mom and I always have this affinity for single moms because I was raised by a single mom and I got to watch you raise this son who went on to do so many amazing things. So I am so inspired by you as a mom. So this is like very special to have you join me in the Shameless Mom Academy because you have raised a really incredible child. And I don't know how much credit you take for that, but I'm going to give you all the credit. (laughs) That is so thoughtful, Sarah. I am a single mom. I do have a wonderful son, as do you. I watch Vinny. Trust me, I watch how you're doing. And I did watch your dog episode this weekend. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I do have a wonderful son who did go on. uh, He was a big athlete here in town at that time. He did go on to play for Stanford. And yeah, I got to watch him do some amazing things. And he's now married and living in Seattle. And when I say he's married, that dates me as to how old I'm getting here. Isn't it funny though, that you, in my mind, like, I feel like we get to it and tell me if you feel this way, like we get to a certain point and I'm like, I'm just done aging now. Like I'm just staying this age forever. Like the years will go by, but I'm not actually ever going to be older than 45. Like I'm pretty content right here. Oh, well, girlfriend, wait till you get in your 50s. (laughs) I turned 57 in July. And let me tell you, I started the whole what's the uh, idiom black don't crack, but now I'm down to beige don't age. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to hold on through my own health beauty routines to keep myself from aging. So I'm telling you, I love it. Okay. So I want to know about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. You have exciting things coming up. So tell us all the good stuff. Oh, well, you know, I would describe the kind of the intersection between my personal life and my professional life as I have been on a journey almost the last decade now. So the last nine years is when I started my own consulting firm, if you will. God, it's gone a million different directions. But the thing that has been really um, awesome for my career and what I'm personally excited about I think, you know, I'm the host of Heartbeat Radio. Yes. I got to come be a guest and it was you in person or at that time you were doing in-person interviews, which was so fun, like (laughs) go in a studio and get behind a fancy microphone. It was super fun. I'm going back to that as soon as we get out of this damn quarantine that we're in. Yes. (laughs) Who'd ever thunk that being on the radio would actually turn into on camera interviews and conversations I'm having too. What's exciting about that is I'm really aiming to propel my show to a national level, to try to have conversations at a national level about um, heartbeat is what I call the heart condition of this country that is impacting Brown and black people. Mm. And it has shaped a lot. It's not where it started, 
post my run for public office in 2018. And so in 2018, before I ran for office, my show was leaning one way, but I have morphed it to not just be the business world, but to include the political world where we're looking at ecosystems that are at play. And so now that I've had my foot both in corporate America for three damn decades and then running for office and being mired into local politics, I can see things I can see the things that are at play that are getting in our way. And so you can see it too. I see your activism. You could see we're at a moment now in our country where a demand for change is occurring. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm part of that movement and that's what I'm excited about. I love it. So you have a book coming out called the color of courage, crushing racism in corporate America. And that's a big title. Like there's, this is a big topic. And so can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book and what inspired you to take on this conversation? Yeah. Did you catch the cover to it? Did you happen to see? Yes. Yeah. So yes. that is an actual wine glass stain. Did you see the red mm -hmm. stain? There's like a red circle on a white background, right? Uh-huh. Because I'm telling the story through a bottle of Syrah. A Syrah is a dark skinned grape that is full of punch and fire. Uh, it is my favorite varietal and it describes my personality to a T. Uh, <laughs> but more important, you will have to pop a cork to read this book because what inspired me to write it is a very public firing in 2012 where I was the director of HR for a couple of businesses at Russell Investments. I had a public firing for standing up for the right things, but it really had to do with my then friend, white woman friend, who basically took me down. And the book goes into the story about how that all unraveled. And I'm highlighting the degree that corporate America will go to to protect uh, she was having an affair with the CFO, um, wow. but to protect them, mm -hmm. they will destroy the people around them in order to protect their privilege. And, you know, I sued them and I won the trial that was in 2014. And the fact that they took me and drug me through a trial and through the trial, they built a case on me. And the case that they built was everything you see for every Black woman that dares to speak up or dares to stand in her truth. And so they portrayed me in a way that was shocking because the person who was at, who should have been held accountable was her and her then, her extramarital affair that is now her husband. So they protected them. I, I believe they both are now retired in the San Juans. Well, the black woman is out here trying to help change society because mm -hmm. of what happens to us. So, you know, back then my lawyer wanted me to go public with the verdict because at that time it was the second largest plaintiff discrimination verdict in the state of Washington, but I wasn't in a place to go public because I need to work. And, yeah. we, you know, black women cannot have anything attached to us or people won't hire us now. Fast forward to 2021, I give zero Fs about what they think and where they're not hiring me anyhow. <laughs> so you get to a point where, you know, I joke with people about the response to Amanda Gorman and her eloquent speaking. And I've said to a zillion people, we all spoke like that when we were her age, but when she's been fighting this battle for, you know, 50 years and goes through menopause, she'll be talking just like the rest of us out here. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of why I decided to just get this book done and put it out into the world and let the world see what is happening and unapologetically speaking my truth now. Oh my goodness. I love it. I think that there's so many layers to this that are so important. I want to back up for a second because you said you referenced the way that you were portrayed in this whole situation. And can you dive a little deeper and give some specifics around that? Because I think this is really important to highlight some of the way that black women are portrayed. And I'm guessing that there's some really specific labels or names that they tried to attach to you and the way you showed up or the way you were fighting for yourself that we all need to have a level of awareness around. Yeah, that's a great question. When I was fired, I was actually in school. I was getting my MBA and I got a text from one of my team, 
one of the women on my team who was like mortified about Cindy, why didn't you tell us you were resigning? And I'm like sitting, you know, at University of Washington, looking at my text message thinking, WTF is this about? I didn't even know they were firing me. Um, And so they sent a termination letter to my house where my now daughter-in-law was staying with me and she signed for it. And so they assumed I signed for it. So they publicly put a statement out that I decided to leave the company. And I called my house to check to see if anything came. And my daughter-in-law said, I had her read it to me. And she said, the grounds that they use was exercising their right as an at-will employer. And they were stupid enough to tell this to an HR person who has never fired anybody for those reasons. But that was their way of saying, we don't have anything on you. But then my girlfriend was going to give them all of my personal things. I had spent some, I mean, we were good friends who worked in the company together. She helped them build a case against me. And so the things that they went after with me, the first thing they went after is my mental health. They went through and found therapist my from years ago that I was seeing. And then I at the time of the lawsuit, I was also in therapy and I'm unapologetic about that. I still need it. Look at the life we have to live around here. But they portrayed me as a mental case. Wow. Um, I come from abuse. You know, I grew up abused and they saw all that. And so they brought in some, I don't even know what his title is, but they brought in a quote unquote expert and paid him $67,000 to testify against me. And this guy literally met with me for one hour and made more money than a damn school teacher did to get on the stand and discredit my mental health. So they came after that. They went after my sex life. They went after my finances. They went, they looked into every single thing about me to portray me as crap. And it's the Anita Hill kind of story, right? Mm -hmm. Don't tolerate their stuff. And the CFO, we knew him to be an abuser. And we also knew the inappropriateness of what was happening in the company because my then friend who was an HR director and he was the CFO, it was a conflict of interest and it's ethics, but they're never going to take on the white guy. Like they're going to protect him. And it's exactly what they did. So this whole image that they portrayed of me as like I was some psychomaniac, you know, it's the things that they attach to black women. We are Mm -hmm. nothing but sexual beings. We manipulate our way into things. They called me a malingerer, which is a term associated to slaves who fake illness. And I was so offended. They said that I slept with somebody for information. So they basically called me a whore and opened the wow. It was horrible. It was just a horrible experience to go through. Wow. This episode is supported by my very own upcoming free workshop I created just for you. Five mindset resets you need to shine like a mother after surviving a pandemic. So are you coming out of this pandemic feeling totally stressed and stuck and overwhelmed like you have no time to yourself and you don't even know where to begin taking the next steps in your life? I get it. The last year and a half have been a lot and you have every reason to feel very stuck, very spent, just completely over it. So know that you are not alone. So many moms are feeling exactly the same way as you. In fact, you might remember I did a survey a couple weeks ago and well over 120 of you responded saying that this is how you're feeling. So you are so not alone right now. While you might be feeling completely exhausted, I do want you to know that it is possible to come out of really hard times and build back a life that allows you to thrive in ways that you have never thrived before. And I know this because I've done it and I've done it a few times. I also know that growth like this is not easy on your own. In fact, it often feels downright impossible and you might be feeling that right now. That's why on July 28th, I'm hosting a free workshop to teach you my updated new and improved five ways to shine like a mother after surviving a pandemic. So maybe you've come to my shine like a mother workshop in the past. I've revamped the whole thing to make it very pertinent and relevant to where we are right now at this phase of 2021. 
Because here's the thing, as a coach, my strengths are to give you simple, tangible action steps while getting you totally fired up to take action in your life right now. So in this workshop, I'm gonna teach you how to take back your time in order to have me time every damn day while also enjoying far less chaos and overwhelm. I'm also going to teach you how to become a decision maker and an action taker in order to stop staying stuck in your head. Oh my goodness, your head can be such a dangerous place, right? I'm gonna get you out of your head. And I'm going to teach you how to reset your brain to believe that you are already courageous and qualified enough to go after whatever you want. If you are ready to move forward in your life with ease and confidence and joy, I would love for you to join me. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to push pause on this episode and pop over to shamelessmom.com shine to sign up to join me on July 28th. That's shamelessmom.com shine where you get to sign up for free. I cannot wait to have you join me. Pop on over to shamelessmom.com slash shine right now. This is really interesting because, and also, I mean, interesting is not a, an appropriate word. This is a super traumatic experience. So this is not just yeah. interesting, but what I'm finding interesting as you're sharing this is as you're talking about all these layers of trauma that I'm imagining this brought up for you, I mean, like bringing up past trauma, especially coming from abuse and then being put in this abusive, what sounds like an abusive situation where you're being gaslit, that what I'm hearing is as you're framing this around, this is how black women are treated, which absolutely makes sense. And we've seen this over and over again, there's multiple layers of this, because I also think that this is how black women are treated. It's also how women are treated and women across the board. Like a man would not be targeted for his mental health history or his sex life if he was on the stand. And you referenced that like a white man wouldn't be, which I totally agree. But I think that there's this layer of, there's two layers here. There's the layer of race. And then there's also the layer of sexism here. And to have to answer to both of those only increases the trauma that you must have experienced going through that exponentially. 100%. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Sarah, the a couple things. The reason why I say the white males because they're the only ones that are at the top. Yeah, that's yes. So, <laughs> important distinction. Yeah. Yes, thank you for pointing the only that out. Ones that are there, and so right. and they are the ones that harness all the earning power and the wealth and the right. money. And then when you read my book, yes, the women issue is there. My lens about the women issue is that white women uphold them to preserve their space of power and privilege also. Uphold white men. Is that what you're- Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Go ahead. And so that's the distinction between the two because they know like her, she walked away. They wrote her a quarter of a million dollar check to walk away quietly. So her defending him and upholding that was profitable to her. For me, they destroyed my life. They put me on the street with no money while I'm a single mother, while I'm trying to get my MBA um, and literally put me in the street. Mm -hmm. And so the difference between the women issue is that it's what I would call the degrees of trauma, the degrees of abuse are the degrees of which black women endure Mm -hmm. is far more substantial because white women can protect themselves by being a part of it. Now, I'm not dismissing your point because your point is right on. Women continue to say, if women became one, (laughs) if women Mm -hmm. became one, there is power because it's being done to all women too. The difference is what women choose to be their course of action. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate that distinction because I think that explanation was really, really helpful and valuable. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of the trial on your life? I can't imagine going through all of this, like to be on trial and be attacked in this way, but then to also have the stress of like not working and having income while raising a child and being in school, that's a lot to carry. That's like an extraordinary amount to carry. What can you talk a little bit about that impact on your life at that time? Yeah, boy, Sarah, that was something. So my MBA was a two-year program. And the in 2014, this is when the trial was, I, literally trying to get myself graduated. I graduated in June 2014, and my trial began in July 2014. So I had for like the majority of the second year of my education, I had to, I was in school, would get out at four o'clock and have to drive downtown and go sit in the attorney's office and go through the discovery process, which is looking through materials, text messages. Oh my God, Sarah. Oh my God. To read the things that people were saying, not just about me, but it changed my world to see particularly how women are to each other. It was an Mm -hmm. eye opener to read all this mess that was going on. So the anxiety of that putting all my furniture in storage, living in temporary places, to, you know, sleeping on couches, trying to take exams, trying to be prepared for trial, having close to breakdowns. My body was breaking out in hives pretty much every single day to the point where even now I can't be around that kind of toxicity anymore mm-hmm. because it was so devastating to have to go sit in front of a group of your peers and be called a whore publicly and be called, it was just awful. And I can't actually tell you I'm fully recovered from it. I, oh my gosh, I'm sure you're not. I mean that, like I said, this is multiple layers of trauma. You wouldn't recover fully from it. I wouldn't think Yes, it it has created, you know, I get asked really interesting questions, um, particularly by white women. And they ask me things like, will I ever trust again? And I can't answer that question because 
you know, I watched the insurrection. What do you think the insurrection did to a woman like me who's yeah. been under attack my entire life and then having to go through what I did and watch them not only do that, but get away with it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened to me is mm-hmm. these people behaved inappropriately. And instead of, it has nothing to do with their sex life and it has nothing to do with judgment about the affair. It had everything to do with the right thing to do and the mm-hmm. right thing to do. If you're the CFO managing company finances and you're sleeping with an HR person, you need to go. Like mm-hmm. the men should be the one, he should have been the one fired, not me and certainly not her, him. But they will never do that to these guys. And that watching this, watching four years of number 45 get away with everything. Mm-hmm is classic what is happening. And I just thoroughly think women should pay more attention and stop upholding that and start doing something about it. Right, right. So at the time of your verdict, you were encouraged not to speak about the case. So you can you share just what the verdict was and then why you were encouraged not to speak out and why you're speaking out now? I was encouraged to speak out about it and I chose not to speak. Oh, out. okay, okay. I was encouraged because it was the second largest uh, verdict. And so so you were encouraged to share that as a victory and to, but it was, that was too dangerous because it could potentially compromise future employment. Yes. Okay. That's what I did. And what I got back, I have to be, I want to be, say this with gratitude because I did, the jury did give me back my lost wages and some damages, but it was not enough. Uh, They did not, they had the option to give me forward pay but they chose not to because they said, well, Cindy has an MBA, so she can now go get a job. What they didn't understand, this was pre-Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Donald Trump being in office. They didn't understand the trauma that I had been right. through. And so I was forced back out pretty quickly. And I'm not going to lie, had they given me enough forward pay, I would be retired by now. But I think in divine order, he knew that my work was greater than that trial. And so- mm-hmm. It gave me a little bit of breathing room for a minute, but I had to pretty quickly pick back up and figure out how I was going to make money. And so that's the stress of being single also is that you don't have anybody to depend on. I, there's nobody to put a roof over my head except for myself. And so it's been tough. It's been a hard road. There's no sugarcoating that. Yeah. How long has it been since the verdict? It was 2014. So what is okay. that? Seven years now. Okay. How long did the case last? I, I don't know things about that much about criminal cases, but I know they can last a long time. Was this like a week or two or was it, did it drag on and on? It was four weeks. It was exactly. That's a long time. That's <laughs> a lot of days to show up in court. Yep. And actually I found that after one of the jurors and one of the attorneys on my case, we all spoke publicly a couple of years ago at an HR conference about the whole event, right? Like about Mm. how did this even like, people are like WTF, why would they do that? Mm. And I just look at people and say, why do you think, right? Like, why do you think they did it? Mm -hmm. And so it was long. One of the jurors had actually said in the juror room, and I didn't know this till after the trial, they saw the car that I drove. So I still drive it. I mean, I have a 15 year old Range Rover. So seven years ago, it was eight years old, but they literally told the other jurors, Cindy doesn't need the money. She drives a Range Rover. And so, and I was parking it in the park and ride in Bellevue and taking the bus downtown because I couldn't even afford to pay for parking downtown. Right. So that's how devastated financially it was on me. And then mentally I have to go sit in front of people who can't think past their nose Mm -hmm. about, Oh, she drives an expensive car. So they automatically think I'm, you know, I just had to bite my lip not to say an inappropriate word, but they think I'm bathing in money and I wasn't. Right. Right. I want to talk about something that you've been referencing a few times already. So you say that white women are at the center of what's happening to black women in, in corporate America. And I want to really dig into that. I think that's an important statement. I think it's a bold statement. And I think for a lot of listeners, that might be a really eye-opening statement. So can you talk about, explain what that means and then how you see this play out over and over? I think all of those adjectives are correct, Sarah. And I think that The other adjective to describe it is that it's not for everyone when I talk about this. And Mm -hmm. I would say that 
my statement about that comes from now 57 years of experiencing, because my experience with Russell Investments was not the only experience I've had with the degree white women will go through to have stuff and to have men. And so everybody can't hear that message because not everybody's ready for that because it is bold. It is unapologetic. And I know many Black women feel this way that our work is often stolen. I'll use that word. Logos, the white women will put their logos on it and take credit for it. Mm -hmm. I will say you know, a book that is controversial is Robin D'Angelo's book because she mm-hmm. is taking Black women's pain. Yeah. And she is also saying nothing any different than any Black woman has been saying, except that they will, our country will listen to white women's opinions, but certainly not a Black woman's perspective about yes. everything that's happening to us. Can we pause there for just a minute? Because yeah. I want to be really specific with that example, because I think it's a really important one. So you're talking about Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, and it is fascinating fascinating to me that when I ask, when I'm in conversations with other women about race, and this happens a lot, and especially in the last year, that that's the first book that white women will recommend to other circles of white women over and over and over. And when you're talking to black women about books on race, that is not the book that they recommend at all, because they would much rather support a black woman saying the same thing, just to your point. And so I've repeatedly found myself in these conversations saying like, hey, yes, there's some valuable messages in white fragility. And also that's a white woman telling the story of black people and profiting off of it and profiting off of it in a way that she is not transparent about and that is not necessarily supportive of the black community. And so if you are going to read white fragility, I just want to challenge people to also pay for and invest in what black women are writing and black men are writing about race in America, because Robin D'Angelo is not the be all end all, but white women position her as the be all end all of the conversations around race in America. That's the, that's my soapbox. Yeah, no, that's the example. When you ask to give examples of it, that is the most profound. Yeah. And by the way, you know, when she does her public speaking on it, I don't know if you saw maybe about, I don't know, eight, nine, months ago, you know, somebody did the Freedom of Information Act request since she was speaking in the academia and got her public speaking fees. Mm -hmm. And so she was speaking at the University of Connecticut for $27,000 for a two hour deal, plus her travel. And what's happening to us as black women here is we're getting asked, what's your hourly rate? And when I say to people, I do not charge by the hour, I use values-based pricing because they don't expect that my black behind has an MBA and that I'm able to come at them and talk to them about finance and an equitable split on their profitability and start talking to them in their language. And then they have the oh shit moments that they're not going to get me for $150 when they're paying Robin DiAngelo $27,000. That is in fact what is happening exactly in, in the Seattle area? You, it's so horrid here. What you should the conversations we as black and brown women have about speaking fees, what we go through is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I have been privy to some conversations with very well-known, best-selling black women who are best-selling authors on par with Robin D'Angelo, as recognizable as Robin D'Angelo. And I know that their speaking fees are not $27,000 for a talk. Well, The Color of Courage, my book intends to, I have a different trajectory. She was picked up by a publishing firm that quote unquote guarantees her success. So that's a part of the ecosystem that Mm -hmm. women like me are speaking to. We can't even get to these people. They won't take meetings with us. They won't Mm -hmm. return our phone calls. They won't return our emails. If you're white, you get access. If you're black, you have to go a different direction. But here's the thing. I believe my book is going to be eye-opening in this country because people are not speaking it the way the raw... I'm speaking it raw. I'm not dancing. I'm not sugarcoating it. And I'm not saying it in a way that keeps people in their comfort zone. I'm speaking it unapologetically because what has happened to me is happening to black women across this country, Mm -hmm. period. Yeah. So what's your invitation to us white women? (laughs) And because I think that this recognition is really, really important. And so 
And I'm guessing that there's probably been some things that you've said where some of our listeners are kind of checking themselves like, oh, shoot, like, how am I contributing to this in my workplace? Or how can I make sure that I'm not contributing to this? So what are your thoughts around that? And how can we start checking ourselves better and then also taking action in better ways? I really appreciate that question, Sarah, because you and other white women, let me say a couple things like just because I call out white women doesn't mean I don't have wonderful white women in my circle. I do. There are women in my circle I trust um, and who are asking that kind of a question. What is it you need us to do? Mm-hmm. I do talk some, my book is not really directed at white women. It is directed to corporate America about what they can do to start changing this ecosystem inside of organizations that help promote brown and black women. And to do that, they're going to have to start to say no to white women and white women are accustomed to having people say yes to them. And so, you know, wearing masks is a classic example of not never used to being inconvenienced when people like me's lives are completely inconvenienced. Right. But to answer your question, you know, I think the best thing is doing what you're doing, which is having these kind of conversations I would encourage white women to stop centering themselves in the middle of these conversations and begin to listen. There are many women who are, but there's a lot of women who want to justify and defend the way things are and will come at it with putting themselves in the middle and then taking credit for things that are not theirs to take credit of. It's time for women like me to be heard. It's time for, you know, my other brown and black sisters to be heard. We ask that you help elevate us, that you may have to step aside when there's an opportunity in order to allow us to get there. I will also say that one of my friends said this to me the other day. She said, you know, many of us are getting phone calls. It's actually really fascinating behavior about because organizations are now saying they know that they need to have a black woman in this role or that they need to have it there. And so what's happening are white women in our outer circles are calling us trying to position themselves as the number two person. Should I, you know, go after this or that they still want to have it all. And I'm just saying, you don't need to have it all. Like we, it's time we share the prosperity. It's time Mm -hmm. to advocate for each other. It's time to help lift each other up. This is not a we or you, we and them. This is an us. And I continually say to women, when Black women rise, Black and brown women, Hispanic women, we're at the very bottom of the rung. So think about what happens optically. Just think about what happens when we rise, what this means for white women. It can mean nothing but good. It can Mm -hmm. mean nothing but good. Right, right. Can you give an example? I think this is, I appreciate you talking about white centering because I think that's really important. And can you give an example of what that might look like in the workplace for people who might not be familiar with that term or what that might mean? It is an example would be, you know, in a meeting when I'm speaking about something and she steps in with her perspective of it, which is just a different way of saying something that I'm saying. And then all of a sudden everybody gravitates to her Mm -hmm. because her voice is considered, I mean, this is what society has done is said that everything white is right and everything black is inferior. Mm -hmm. And so behaviors play right into that. And so centering yourself is trying to speak the same language. Robin D'Angelo did it, right? She centered herself in our pain to profit off of. The other example I will use is the wall of moms in Portland. If you follow that controversy, they came out and were arm in arm with, you know, we're gonna stand for black women. And then behind the scenes, they removed the black women from the organization, set up a .org and start figuring out how to monetize on it. Mm. Those are the things that are happening to us daily. Yeah, I think that example that you gave about sitting in a meeting, I think what comes to mind for me is back when I very, for seven years, which is basically 10 minutes, but for seven years in my twenties worked in a corporate setting. And I know this is relatable to many women where you're sitting in a meeting with mostly men and you speak up and you say something as a woman. And then the guy next to you, like you said, like repeats the same thing with like, maybe just one or two words, a little bit different or like a different tone or something. And everyone's like all about what he just said. And you're like, but I just said that, Uh (laughs) but like, 
there's no acknowledgement that from anyone in the room that you have said things that are even remotely similar. And I think that's a very relatable experience that I can relate to as a woman in a, when I'm typically, what if I'm in the minority with a circle of men. And so I think that's such a clear example of how white women can look to see like, holy cow, am I doing that when I am in the majority in a circle of women or in a workplace circle or whatever? And a black woman says something and they might even think like, oh, I'm being supportive to like piggyback on what she's saying on what a black woman is saying, but really they're completely taking the stage. That's exactly right. It is the same issue that you're describing. It just, yes, that's it. Women are constantly, constantly diminished. And I'm just going to say this, like, you know, I was a senior level HR person. I was the top HR person in my businesses. And I sat in these meetings. These men ain't, they ain't smart. They just have access. That's exactly- <laughs> they have access. They don't have, I could keep biting my lip because I know this is a podcast, but it's not that they're smarter than that. Us. It's that's that they have the opportunity because they all look out for themselves. They protect yeah. each other. Yeah. Can you imagine if we all did that for each other? Right. I'm laughing because when I started podcasting, and I'm curious if this resonates with you, the entire reason I started podcasting was because I was listening to podcasts about being business owner and entrepreneur. Cause I had my gym at the time and I was like all about building the gym. And so I started listening to podcasts about building businesses and they were all podcasts done by white men in their mid twenties who were like single, no kids. First, I was completely in awe and all these guys were friends with each other. And I was like, I just want to be friends with them. Like they're so smart and they're so brilliant, blah, blah, blah. Well, after a few months, I was like, they're not that smart. And they've like experienced very little in life because they're all from very privileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so after a few months, I was like, if they can make a million dollars doing this, like, let's go. I am smarter than that. And And I'm not going to lie, Sarah. I bought a book by a white guy named, I think it's Alan Weiss. His book is called Million Dollar Consulting. Cause I was like, what is it that these guys are doing? right? To get all this damn money. Cause I used to sign all these consultant contracts and, you know, he taught some really good things. Now these guys are not expecting me to use their game against them. And so it is fascinating watching their faces when they realize that you're not smarter than me, mister, right? You're not smarter than me, right? but they're threatened but because they all know this is the, at the core of the issue, We work our tails off to get where we are. We are educated women out here trying to change the damn world. And you got in because number one, you have a penis. And number two, you know, all the other boys around the table, they know that they can't compete with people like us because we are smart and we'll outwork them and we'll bring our other women along with us and not depend on them. That is fundamentally why mediocre white men are running corporate America. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, 
so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yes. And oh my gosh. And this is a conversation I have all the time with moms. And I'm, I'm guessing you'll totally agree that if we can look at motherhood and enduring being women in a world run by men, and in your case, being a black woman in a world run by white men, and that if we can endure that, the level of resourcefulness, resilience, and just like all out scrappiness that we have to adapt or step into in, in order to be adaptable and to be successful, then we actually are at a huge advantage because yeah. we've had to figure out so many things that our toolkit is a million times bigger and more extensive. And 100%. so there's a disadvantage to that position of privilege. And that's why they feel threatened. There's a disadvantage because you've never had to figure out a whole bunch of things. Like you've never had to get super scrappy to figure out how to make something work. Yep. And so you might feel a little bit threatened when you realize like I can get scrappy in any which way I have to, if I need to figure out a way to show up tomorrow morning in a new way, in a new business, in a new situation, what have you. Let's just be clear. Hispanic women are earning 53 cents to the dollar. Black women are at 63 cents to the dollar and white women are at 78 cents to the dollar right now. We all, this means that we are, you know, 20 something percent, 40% and 50% below market. Uh, particularly, here's my HR coming out of me because my book covers a lot of this stuff. That means we're working two and three jobs to mm -hmm. have to be on par. So there is no man around here, I'm telling you, who can outwork me, right. who is smart. Like we have so much in our toolkits right now, we collectively as women, mm -hmm. that if we could get past the I mentality, and the thinking that in order for, I have to diminish you in order for me to look better and rise. If mm -hmm. we can pivot that way of thinking and realize that, I mean, what is enough that we have to have materialistically and what can we do for our sister? That's how we need to start thinking as women. And we need to dismantle this patriarchy who is destroying women's lives. Right. We need to do that. Right. I also think that women who have this perception that they're at a disadvantage because of their sex, their age, their education, their race, their being a mom, like all of these things, instead of looking at that as something that holds you back, recognizing that that is actually what gives you your superpowers. Because the more things you have had to work through or overcome or the harder that you've had to work or the more creative that you've had to be or adaptable that you've had to be, that qualifies you in a much greater way to step into a, into different um, aspects of success. But if you don't recognize that about yourself, and so I'll use the example of being a single mom. If I'm a single mom who feels, has a sense of like, well, woe is me. I have to do it all alone. And I was raised by a single mom who at times had a little bit of that. And she'll admit that like, this is really, really hard, which of course it was really, really hard. But if you have that mentality versus like, I'm a single mom, like I have already done it all so I can go do anything. And now it's like your superpower, which is, I see you in that situation, Cindy, like owning and really embracing the things that have been hard as qualifiers to bring you to any level of achievement that you desire. That's so different. And so I really want to encourage women who are listening, who feel like maybe they've been held back by a certain status in their life to look at that as the thing that actually is arming them for success. Yes. Um, with a caveat, I would say. Yes. Um, and please do. Uh, I still have some of that because the woe is me because of how freaking difficult it is yeah, yeah. for us to be seen or heard. Right. And because the oppressive systems that many of us live in are very difficult to navigate. And so I want to honor and recognize the women who are in that space because I get it. And I still have to fight my way through it. And I'm still running, Sarah. So had it not be for my exercise, it's how I help keep my attitude in the right space of what you were just discussing. It's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it appears to me that white women have been programmed to compete with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and black women are out here fighting tooth and nail just to get 60% of it. And so mm -hmm. though it's the ability to look within thyself and begin to put in perspective 
I think saying different what you said is the blessings I do have and the continued perseverance of what matters to me and what fills me up and fighting for other women fills me up. I'm just not going to go away. So this is our work collectively that I believe we need to do. Yeah. And I really appreciate your, that caveat. And I think that's a really great example of how we can have these conversations and I can, from a position of privilege, like, hold on. I probably didn't say that in a way that really honors other people's experiences and that you can point that out to me. And I'm really glad that you pointed that out because I think that's exactly how we learn and grow to recognize how we do frame things or how we say things and how they come across and like have awareness around that so that we can, like you mentioned earlier, like be better listeners. I think that's super, super important. You and, you and I have a relationship, Sarah. And I think that that is the underlying, the valuable piece of how we can have this conversation because mm. I know you and, and I may not yeah. see you for two years, but I can pick right back up where we left off. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we need to have relationships together and people keep asking me, how do we do that? I'm like, shit, if I know, I mean, <laughs> it's so hard right now to even- right figure this out for the new people. And so it is a difficult conversation to have with each other, but we must have it because you're not off base. I'm just was trying to qualify the, our world is every single day oppression. And so navigating that is mentally taxing. And Mm -hmm. I can find myself in some dark moments. I was having a dark moment yesterday. I mean, it's just hell to keep a business together trying to sell services that focus on change as a black person, as a black woman. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So your story is about being large when it might be easier to be small. So how do you summon the courage? And I'm smiling as I'm asking this because everything that you've said in this conversation and the way that you've said it is there is this powerful way that you take up space. And so I don't, think of you as playing small or being small at all. And it seems like this courage comes really naturally to you. And so I'm asking like, how do you summon this courage when it just seems like this innate part of you, but I'm guessing that maybe it's not always just immediately present. So how do you summon the courage to be large and take up space? I appreciate that question. I would say that the only reason I have it is because I have been swung at since birth. Mm -hmm. And so Look, my early years were not easy. I don't know if you saw my TED Talk. You should watch my TED Talk if not, because I talk about in 1979 when I went into the cafeteria. This is my freshman year in high school and looked around the room and I was trying to figure out where do I belong. I'm, I'm technically biracial. And I'm actually genetically more white than black. I've actually done my DNA, but the world doesn't see me that way or treat me that way. But to answer your question, it just comes now, again, I say... It's because I've been swung at so many times that you just swing back. And when there just comes a point where you realize all the things that society is telling me about myself, I refuse to hear. I will not shrink (laughs) to make other people comfortable and to continue to promote white supremacy. And the reason my, and, and it really is white supremacy. People think that when you say that term, It's only about the people who cut holes in their pillowcases and walk around. No, these folks are sitting in offices wearing Jimmy Mm -hmm. Choo and Tom Ford right next to us. Mm -hmm. And they are the people behind the scenes sabotaging us. We must fight back now. We are at a point where the system, your son, my son, we cannot let our kids have another generation of this BS that skin color is a determinant of success. Skin color is a determinant of whether we have health care. Skin color is a determinant of whether we can have the same earning power. Like we got to change this trajectory. And the only way to do that is for the bold women like me and like you to just swing back, just mm-hmm. stand for our truth. This is who I am. This is my message to the world. I'm not apologizing for it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I really appreciate it. Can you tell me who you wrote the book for? So who should go out and buy The Color of Courage, Crushing Racism in Corporate America? You know, I think, uh, I'm not sure who all your audience is. If you are white women, please buy it for your husbands. If you are black women, 
please buy it for yourself. You will be validated in this book. And if you are any executive level person in any organization, you need to read it because there are, I actually have some 10 commandments of corporate America, what's going on to uphold the patriarchy. You white men as leaders need to read those 10 commandments and what is being upheld in corporate America. I also talk about compensation and how compensation is structured and how wealth is being given to the very select few. I'm one of the people who actually participated in that process of distributing money. And I'm explaining to the average person where the actual issue is, because the world would have you believe that it's only in the salary. It is not. There is far more to be seen and understand about the different type of bonus structures that exist, the different levels, how people get into them. I'm telling HR secrets. Mm. And so I find, you know, I'm going to market it. I'm going to put the book in the airports so that when we can all travel again, yes. the executives can see it. I um, can't wait to be in an airport, number one. And I can't wait to see your book in an airport. <laughs> that's who needs to read it. And yeah, there's something for everybody in it. You, my editor kept saying to me, who's the target market? And I'm like, well, hell, it's the entire country here that can yeah. learn from this. But for now, you know, there is something that everybody can gain some value from even if it makes you uncomfortable. And I would say, sit in the sting of the uncomfortableness when you read it, because there's power in beginning to understand why a woman like me would say the things that I'm saying in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a couple of friends who work in HR and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get it for them. (laughs) Not that that needs to be limited to people who work in HR, but just a few, a number of the things that you said, I'm like, oh, this will be like a perfect fit. Oh my goodness. Cindy, this has been so good. Okay. Before we wrap, I need to know how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. You know, I would answer it this way right now. You know, I think that my son, you know, he knows I'm a bold woman and he's not in the space yet of what I'm doing. But I'm creating, I want him and I want your son and I want your listeners, kids to pay attention to a woman who is not afraid to stand up for you. And so I need to role model that to my family because, you know, you know, my son, Sarah, like I was married to a white guy and Aaron, my son looks completely white because I'm half white. So he doesn't experience a lot of the things I do, but he's married to a brown woman and my grandkids are probably going to look darker. Mm -hmm. And so this, what he sees his mama going through now, he'll be having to pick this torch back up. And so Mm -hmm. I can guarantee that that's how I'm showing up. I'm unapologetic. He may think I'm weird and bold and, (laughs) you know, oh God, mama can't, are you talking about that again? Mom, can we just change the subject? (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you when he hits 40, he's going to be having these conversations. So totally unapologetically for Vinny and for my son and for all of our listeners' sons, this is work for all of our kids, all of our kids. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Cindy, I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you showing up for this conversation. So many big gems that you shared and also smaller nuggets and nuance to different pieces of this conversation that I know are going to be really valuable to our listeners. And I know these conversations don't come without emotional labor on your part to have to dive in and educate and share. So I just appreciate you so much. Can you tell people where they can find you where they can connect with you, where they can get the book and all that stuff? Yeah, my website, uh, thank you for asking, Sarah. I appreciate you bringing me into your space. I will tell you that first off, because this is a blessing to be able to be in on with you. And so I share honor with you for being open to have this conversation and for role modeling what we need to do as women together. My website is cindybright.com. It's Cindy with an I. I do have a wait list for my book. You can sign up for the wait list there. It's scheduled to be out by June the 1st. And so, and there will be a PR campaign that is in place that starts, you'll, you'll be seeing me on TV. I'm going to promote this pretty heavily and God willing this market open back up and I can get out in public and start doing some things publicly on it. So I really yes. appreciate this, yes. Sarah. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to see this book in so many hands and in so many airports and bookstores and in all of, and on the New York times bestseller list and all those places. So let's do it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Cindy. I'm so honored to have had you here, but I'm also really, really excited and optimistic about this book getting into all the hands in order to 
create change and impact many, many lives. Well, thank you to my sister. I appreciate you, Sarah. (laughs) Oh, thank Thank you. you very much. Okay, mamas, before I let you go, final reminder today, if you didn't already do it, I want you to pop over to shamelessmom.com slash shine to sign up for my totally free workshop, five mindset resets you need to shine like a mother after a pandemic. Again, that's shamelessmom.com slash shine. And I will see you on July 28th. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.